Hey everybody, how you guys doing? I am glad you guys have joined me today at my little corner of the internet. Today is Monday, August the 2nd, and today we're going to do something that we try to do every August, and that is air for you a couple of your favorite podcasts and something we are calling the Summer Replay Series. Today I'm going to be joined again by my friend Alex Newman, and we're going to dive into education, and we're going to talk to an expert on the topic as we discuss some little-known history and a few key players that have brought us to the current failing state of education in our public schools. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. So for the next three days, I'm going to replay one of my favorite interviews of all time with my friend, Alex Newman. Alex is an award-winning journalist and international correspondent. He's an educator and author. He's a consultant. In addition to serving as a writer and a media personality for the Freedom Project, Alex is also a foreign correspondent for the New American Magazine and a contributor to WorldNet Daily. He's also the president of the media and information consulting firm, Liberty Sentinel Media. Uh, When I first heard about Alex, I was absolutely mesmerized by his understanding of what's happening in the public school system. And really, he believes what I believe, which is that education is the key to restoring the nation. So for the next three days, I hope you guys will sit back, take lots of notes and enjoy this replay for the summer series with my friend Alex Newman. You guys know that I love to have people on the show who are uh, freedom warriors, people who love liberty and truth, who value truth. And today's guest is no exception to that golden rule of podcast guests that I have over here at Off the Bench. Alex Newman joins me today. Uh, Alex has been a voice now for quite some time for uh, parents to understand the education system, the history of the education system, the public school system in the United States, and I would say probably even around the world, but particularly in America. He's been part of public school exit. And right now he's got a book out called Crimes of the Educators. When he told me about this, I was like, oh, you're going to be my new best friend. I, I cannot wait to uh, to see what that book's about. And I know you guys are going to be blessed. So I will link back to these things in the show notes today. He has a series out on education right now in the Epic Times. You guys have heard me talk about the Epic Times here at the show. One of the few uh, outlets of news right now that I think you can trust. So we will find that series and link back to it so that you can find what Alex is writing for the Epic Times. And you guys are going to love this interview. Share it with your friends. We're going to help you guys get off the bench and onto the battlefield that is education. And so with that, Alex Newman, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Heidi. It's great to be with you. I'm excited that you're here. And the more that I read about you, the more I'm like, ah, wherever that guy is, I want to just hitch my wagon to his star. Because you're telling people the truth about the education system. And you are invested in this because you guys have kids, right? We do. We've got uh, four. The next one's arriving in a week or two. And I, I tell people the second best decision I ever made in my life was to homeschool them. <laughs> it's uh, we, oh. we just wouldn't trade it for the world. Yeah, it's an amazing opportunity. And really the window of time, and this is what I'm learning as my kids, you know, most of my kids now are in their 20s. I've still got a little 10-year-old and that's uh, and a 15-year-old, but most of my kids are kind of getting up there. And I'm always telling parents, you feel like you're in it forever. It's a very small window. We have a window of time in which we can uh, influence these children and set them on a path where they're they're going to be walking along a straight and narrow path. And that's that's the value of home education, right? It really is. And, you know, when I read the Bible, I, I just see so many scriptures that 
suggest to me very strongly that God intended parents to be the primary educators of their children. And that doesn't mean that you can't send your children to a good Christian school, that you can't delegate some of those responsibilities to a tutor or a homeschool co-op or, you know, another mom, you know, there's, there's different arrangements that can be made. But I really think from my reading of scripture that God intended parents to be the primary educators of their children. And really they, it needs to be more than just kind of education in the way that the world thinks of it. It's, it, it's, part of discipling them too. You know, we were supposed to make disciples of all nations, and yet we forget to do it in our own home. And uh, I, I wish that just more Christians would would read scripture with that in mind and, and see what God reveals to them. Because I think really that is the model that God truly intended is for parents to play the lead role when it comes to educating their children. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I'm one of the bright spots, one of the few uh, bright spots that I see in the Rona is that I'm, I think God is using it to turn the hearts of parents back to their children to say, all right, maybe we maybe we screwed up somewhere. Maybe we we kind of went off the rails. And I would love for you just uh, especially since this is your first time on my show to to introduce yourself to people. How did you get so passionate? Because something had to trigger that. How did you get so passionate about exposing uh, the truth behind the education system in America? Well, it's a really interesting story, Heidi. I, I actually never experienced uh, education in America until I came back for college. I grew up overseas, mostly in Latin America, Europe, then Africa, back to Europe. And so I never went to an American public school until I came back to do a little bit of college and university. And I was absolutely appalled. Uh, I got my GED as well, and I, I just could not believe the level that it was at. But I didn't start thinking about it too much until... I came across a, a small note in a local newspaper about these new national standards that were coming in. And, you know, I, I wasn't a constitutional scholar. I was a college kid. Like, mm, that sounds a little bit suspicious. You know, my understanding is that uh, education is not a federal responsibility, but at, at worst, you know, state responsibility, local responsibility. That's really strange. So I started digging into it. I ended up producing some articles about it early on before Common Core became kind of a household word. And that led me down a path of discovering more and more horror is maybe the best term to, to mm. describe it in the education system. And that led uh, a few years after that to a phone call from Dr. Samuel Blumenfeld, who I knew of, I didn't know him personally, but he and I had written for some publications in common. And uh, he, he was working on his, well, I don't know that he knew, but his final book, and they wondered if I would be willing to participate. And that was like, whoa, really, Sam Blumenfeld? This is a guy who had written you know, 12 books on education, just phenomenally well-researched man. He, he's a, the guy who did a lot of the original research, pulling this stuff out of old university libraries and dusty mm -hmm. archives and reading the correspondence. Wow. So, so I thought that was a huge opportunity. I jumped on it. We produced this book published by WND Books that was uh, Crimes of the Educators, How Utopians Are Using Government Schools to Destroy America's Children. And that was the point at which I realized, wow, all these other things that I'm focused on, you know, uh, stopping the, the killing of unborn babies, you know, gun rights, reducing the size and scope of government, you know, re restoring morality, all these other things that I was passionate about, they all ran right through the education system. And it hit me. If we lose on this front, every other battle out there is going to be lost as well. Yep. So that's where my passion really started. And I've been on this ever since. That was probably five years ago now. And I haven't quit. In fact, I've gotten more and more passionate and more and more dedicated to this cause. And that brings us to today. 
Wow. And it's it's an amazing time. This is an amazing time to be an American uh, because I believe, and we've been talking about this at the podcast here for months, that America is on the verge of a revolution. Some, I mean, we can feel it, right? We can feel it in the air. Something is is happening. Something big is happening in the country. And it's interesting to me to note that you you said you grew up overseas. So in, in Europe and at, what in the world? Were your parents missionaries? I mean, what, a military? Why were you over there? Uh, my dad actually worked for a, it's kind of a boring story, just a big American corporation <laughs> and they kept moving us around. So, and then wow. after he retired, I, I took my, uh, my earnings as a child actor and uh, went to go spend some time and waste some money in Africa. And that was fun too. So. Wow. That's kind of, you got kind of an amazing, interesting life story so far. And I've got to think that that had to shape how you see the world, because if you didn't grow up here and you weren't part of the public school system, uh, and you would have seen it from a different perspective. I mean, you just you just said a moment ago that when you came here, you were kind of shocked at how, you know, and appalled how we do things. You, I mean, it sounds to me like that just was a major factor in what made you so alarmed in the begin to begin with. It was. It absolutely was. My experience in university, I, I just couldn't believe it. It, it was so obviously indoctrinated. And, and it wasn't even good indoctrination. I mean, they weren't even like hiding it very well. It was just so in your face. It actually had the, the opposite effect on me. They'd try to indoctrinate me into believing in Marxism and feminism and to hating Christianity. Uh, and that actually drove me to become much more conservative and uh, become much stronger in my faith. So I, I appreciated that. And my brother did actually, my, my younger brother did experience the tail end of his education in a public school in America. And without going into too much detail, uh, the effect on him was absolutely catastrophic. Mm. And so it was just, it was very clear that something was terribly wrong. And in, in just conversations with Americans, and then as, as I started researching, I could tell that something was really, really fundamentally wrong. And it had to be coming from the public schools. And the more I, I learned, the more I researched, the more I realized that's exactly where it was coming from. Mm. It's and parents need to wake up, you know, I, I, for a long time, you know, I think uh, particularly in our churches and stuff, churches have taken just an absolute uh, no, no position on this at all. So they don't want to get into the discussion about education. And what I've observed for the last 50 years of my life, at least is, is we're watching parents ceding the responsibility for raising their children. We give the responsibility for their spiritual education to pastors, many of whom don't deserve it and can't give them a good uh, education, even spiritually. And and then we see the education, their academic education to the school system. And what that allows parents to do is just check out. So we just, we check out completely. And what's happening is we're losing our children and parents need to understand that this is by design. And that's what's so alarming, that education really is the front lines. And I, I completely agree with you. Uh, we can save the babies, but I'll tell you what, if we lose the minds of the babies that are born, we've lost the battle anyway. That's and exactly so, right. When you talk about, and of course, that doesn't mean I'm not pro-life. You guys all know I'm, you know, and I'm sure you are too, very, very heavily Absolutely. involved in the fight against abortion, which is a genocide on a whole different level. But I would love to just start kind of back at the very beginning with you so that you can unpack this for listeners about the history of education in America. Because I think what we, what we typically believe is that it started out Christian, but then it got secularized. But you're saying... No, it actually started out this way, and it's accomplishing exactly what it set out to do. Yeah, and, and that's that's the honest truth right there, Heidi. There, there's, I think, a real 
inaccurate perception when it comes to education. People look at 1962 and 1963 as the turning point when American education, at least government education, went from being supposedly Christian to being, you know, maybe secular or even anti-Christian. And mm. I'll, I'll agree that was an important turning point, but really that was the culmination of something that had started over a hundred years before that. And so when I talk about the history of government education in America, I, I think to start off with, a lot of people don't realize that government education is a, really a new innovation uh, for you know 2,000 years almost, 1,800 years of Christian history. The idea that Christian parents would hand their children over to Caesar to be, you know, quote unquote, educated, it would have been inconceivable. Mm -hmm. And yet some people who, who rejected the Bible, who rejected God, who rejected the truths that God has revealed to us, decided that government ought to take over education. I think part of it is you come to a wrong conclusion when you start off with faulty premises. And so I, I, I really trace the origin of this back to a gentleman called Robert Owen. And he was a communist before communism was cool. He set up this uh, commune in Indiana. This was long before Karl Marx. And, uh, you know, no private property, no nothing. They, they really were trying to create a, a totally collectivist society. And it was an absolute failure, of course, you know, just like Cuba, just like North Korea, just like, right, just like communism fails everywhere. Precisely. Uh, and it's yeah. because it's based on unbiblical ideas, right? It's yep. God who ordained that there should be private property. It's God who ordained that if you don't work, you don't eat, right? If, unless, of course, you're, you're handicapped or you're a baby or you need, you know, you need help. Right, right. Reason. Or unless you live in Portland, but not that. <laughs> <Right. Never. laughs> or Seattle. <laughs> or Seattle. Unbelievable. But uh, so, so this guy tried this commune and it was a total failure. But he came to a really silly conclusion. Uh, his, his conclusion was that it was a failure, not because communism is ridiculous, because getting private property, uh, getting rid of private property doesn't work, but because children had not been shaped and molded by government from a very young age to reject individuality and individualism and to think only about the collective. And so he, he had written these essays, and actually one of them was uh, obtained by the Prussian ambassador. And this ambassador took it back to the really you know, modern-day we would call it a dictator of Prussia and said, hey, you know, what about this idea? We could set up a government school system. And this guy says it would be you know, the most powerful tool in the hands of the state for creating wonderful, good, obedient little citizens. And so they yep. tried it out in, in Prussia and it worked just as expected. It was really the first modern day government education system on the planet. It, this idea that we're going to segregate children by age, that we're going to force parents to hand over their children to the state, that we're going to uh, instill absolute, unconditional, total obedience to the dictator or the dictator's minions. And it wasn't a very good system, in my opinion, certainly better than what we have today. But it, it's really where this idea took root that government ought to educate children. And then this was brought to America by another man who rejected the Bible, who rejected God, who really viewed the world through a collectivist, anti-Christian lens, and that is Horace Mann. Uh, he was selected to serve as the first secretary of education for any state. Uh, he was in, in the state of Massachusetts, and there was a, a pretty powerful movement there, these kind of what we would call liberal today, uh, utopians, they, some of them were Unitarian. So it's not that they necessarily rejected God, but they certainly rejected the Bible. They rejected Christ. They rejected uh, the doctrines of the Trinity and thought that really, you know, we don't really need Jesus. What we really need is to reform people using the power of government. And what better way to do that than to have government oversee the education of children instead of these backwards troglodytes uh, called parents. Right. And when was this? So Horace Mann splashes onto the scene as the secretary of education under who? 
This is in the late 1830s into okay. the early 1840s. Okay, so I'm trying. I'm like, where did he skip? Where do we skip ahead? Okay, I gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, and, and you know, some people trace the origin of public schools in America back to the Pilgrims. Uh, the Pilgrims did pass a really interesting act in the 1640s. This was, of course, hundreds of years earlier. And, and I love this. I, I always bring it up when I'm talking about the history of education in America because it shows you that the early settlers here really understood what education was about. And so this was called the Old Deluder Satan Act. And the premise of the law, as they, as they explained in there, was that that old deluder Satan, one, one of his chief uh, weapons, chief mechanisms of action, is to deprive men of knowledge of the scriptures. And he said, you know, when, when you don't know about the Bible, then it's very easy for that old deluder, that old deceiver, Satan, to trick you and deceive you and manipulate you. And so in this law, they said that uh, everybody must learn how to read in this colony. Of course, it wasn't independent yet. It was still under the crown. But everybody needs to learn how to read. And if you have a big enough town and there's any question about the children not being able to read, then the parents ought to get together and hire somebody who can make sure all of the children can learn to read. Uh, and so, you know, I, I, I consider that a completely separate, different system from what eventually emerged. This is more like a homeschool co-op than, you know, government right. education system like Horace Mann brought in. Right. So he so he comes in as a secretary uh, of the Massachusetts State Board of Education. Right. That's what you're saying. Yes. So I'm trying I'm putting my I'm wrapping my head around this because you we don't think that it went back this far, but it did. That's right. And, uh, and and Horace Mann was open about the fact that he did not want the Bible in the schools. And his uh, his excuse for that was, well, you know, we have different denominations of Christians. And how do we know whose doctrines we should teach? So let's just do our best to get the Bible out of the schools. So that was his uh, one of his many objectives. And, uh, you know, that in and of itself is a dangerous idea. And if he had said that too loudly, he might have been tarred in feathers. So sure. the, the idea back in the in the 1830s, 1840s in Massachusetts, in America, that we could have education without the Bible, uh, it would have been seen as absolutely ridiculous. I mean, really, the guy would have been run out of town. So he couldn't make that his top priority and he couldn't push it too hard. But he did right away start bringing in quackery. You know, this is what so often happens when government takes things over. You know, God has prescribed a, a specific sphere for government to wield the sword, to punish evil. But when government starts growing outside the bounds of the, the you know, what God has defined for it, you really start getting into trouble. Like, would we want the government to run our grocery stores? Well, I, I would mm -hmm. hope not. Do we want the government to run our medical system? I would hope not. Uh, do we want the government to educate our children? Well, that's, I think, an unbiblical idea. And so right away, the, the quackery started infiltrating the education system. Uh, Horace Mann was completely inspired by what was happening in Prussia, and he wanted to replicate that system in Massachusetts. So one of the things he did was to set up a system, of, they called them state normal schools. Uh, he didn't want teachers to be just educated willy-nilly. He wanted the state to train and educate all the teachers. So he set up these three normal schools where they were going to educate the next generation of teachers. Uh, he relentlessly demonized uh, private education, Christian education, the, the different options that existed at that time. And, and to be clear, I, I should say, um, before any of this happened, the education system in America, it, it was really a non-system, but it was phenomenal. It was a free market system. Um, most of it was done at home, right? Children typically learn to read at home from their parents. And then there was a, a vibrant ecosystem of private academies, church schools, all the different denominations had their own different schools. Many of them would pay the tuition for children of uh, parents who couldn't afford it. So you had this incredible, really free market, uh, church-dominated system of education, and it was producing amazing results, right? I mean, if you go back to the founding era, the 1770s, you, you see the caliber of the education. 
Uh, look at the the minds that it produced. Look at j- just read the Federalist Papers, right? These were designed yeah. for normal, common, everyday citizens, farmers and shopkeepers and blacksmiths, right? Um, today, it, it's very rare when you find somebody who can understand all that, even in modern English. And yet that was written for the common man back then. So, you know, just to be clear, we had a wonderful education long before Horace Mann came along. But so man comes along and he brings in all the quackery right away. The, the state normal school started teaching phrenology, this quack idea that, you know, the size and shape of your skull influences your personality and all this. Um, he also brought in, and this is something we cover extensively in the book, Crimes of the Educators, uh, this new way of teaching reading called the whole word method, where instead of teaching children that each letter is a symbol representing one or more sounds, uh, they said, hey, why don't we teach children to memorize entire words as if the word itself was the symbol. And that was disastrous. And so fortunately, the, the schoolmasters in Boston, uh, they wrote this brilliant essay saying, sorry, Mr. Man, you know, nice try. You probably had good intentions, but no, we're not going to do this. This is silly. <laughs> Might have been the beginning of Common Core. <laughs> Actually, there's a direct link there. And we can talk about that a little bit later. But it, a lot of these quack methods have persisted to this day in government education, especially in the United States. But so Horace Mann, you know, was developing this in Massachusetts based on the Prussian model. And he was, after that, traveling all across America. He was like an evangelist, right? Preaching the good news of government is going to educate your children for you. And he went to state legislatures and was trying to convince other states to adopt this kind of system. And very reluctantly, they little by little, they started jumping on the bandwagon. And so gradually, over a period of the next few generations, uh, states started saying, well, hey, you know, maybe, maybe we could do that, too. And, you know, maybe that is a function of government. So that's where that was born. Uh, You fast forward to the late 1800s, and there was already this kind of architecture in place. Many states had already started passing compulsory education laws. They had started creating uh, government schools. And then Dewey comes in and says, hey, I'm going to seize control of this architecture. I'm going to radicalize it further. I'm going to weaponize it further, and I'm going to use it to accomplish my purposes. Now, Dewey saw the world very similarly to Horace Mann, only more radical. So instead of looking to Prussia, which, yes, it was a dictatorship, but at least it was a nominally Christian dictatorship. He looked to the Soviet Union, a, a militantly anti-God dictatorship that would end up slaughtering tens of millions of innocent people, ruthlessly persecuting the church. And, and Dewey was unashamed about his love for the Soviet Union. Uh, even before he went over to the Soviet Union, even before the Soviet Union was established, he had already started exploring some of these ideas. He rejected God and, and was not shy about revealing that. He believed that America would be better off moving toward a collectivist model. He wanted to get rid of private property and said so very openly. Uh, His model for the ideal United States, he actually would point to a novel called Looking Backward by Edward Bellamy. This was published in 1888. And uh, it's basically a a fiction novel about a communist America in the year 2000. And and Dewey would regularly say, that's where I think America should go, right? Let's, Let's get away from private property rights. He considered this, quote unquote, individualism to be harmful. And he wanted to turn the school system into a tool for advancing his ideology and and later his faith. So he went over to the Soviet Union. Uh, He loved what was going on there. He wrote all these magazine articles about how stupendous and wonderful it was. He especially was pleased with their education system. Uh, He said in these magazine articles that it was instilling a collectivistic mentality in the children. And I want to spend a Yes, exactly. And, and you know, when you see the roots of the education system, you understand exactly how, you end, how we ended up where we are today in America. Um, but so one of the things that uh, Dewey was really passionate about was his religion. 
And fortunately, we don't need to speculate about any of these things because Dewey left an enormous amount of writings outlining his views on all these different things. And one of the most significant documents that he ever produced, him and, and about 30, 32 or 33 others, was called the Humanist Manifesto. Today we call it the First Humanist Manifesto. And to just kind of give you a sense of where they were coming from, Heidi, the very first tenet of this document, tenet number one, is we believe the universe, was, as we religious humanists believe, that the universe is self-existing and not created. And you, you compare that with the first words of Scripture. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So right off the bat, they're telling you, we reject your Bible, we reject your God. And you know, even for non-religious people, even for people who don't necessarily view the, the Bible as the inerrant, perfect Word of God, there's really profound implications to this as Americans. Right? Our founding fathers, when they wrote the Declaration of Independence, they said it was a self-evident truth that we were all created by a God, of course, that we were created equally, and that God, our creator, endowed us with certain unalienable rights. In fact, they said we create governments to protect these rights. These ideas came straight from the Bible. God said, thou shalt not murder, therefore you have a right to life, and the government is obligated to protect it, because God said government must punish evil. God defined murder as evil. Therefore, you have an unalienable right given to you by God to your life. And also to your property, right? God said, thou shalt not steal. That applies just as much to government as it does to your neighbor. And so this is where these ideas came from. And when John Dewey came along and said, no, 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 there is no God. None of it. We were not created. Um, that means, of course, there, if there's no God, there can be no God-given rights. That means there's no objective truth. There's no objective morality. And so you can see how the ideas, the ideology, and the theology underpinning the creation of the public school system that we know today led directly to where we are now. And so when people look at this, you know, I, I've been saying for a long time, education is not neutral. The nature of education itself, you, you cannot impart a wisdom or knowledge to anyone from a blank slate. None of us has a blank slate. We all have a bias. We all come at this from a particular point of view. And you're saying that the guy who's really the two men who are the most instrumental in bringing about public education in this country are basically uh, hate God haters. Right. Which is one of the one of the tenets of the Communist Party, what we're seeing happening in the United States right now with this sort of hostile takeover of the education system. And now parents are going, wait a second, we made a wrong turn somewhere. So thanks for listening to the podcast today. I'm going to go ahead and end it right there. And tomorrow we're going to get back on here. We're going to talk about kind of where we went wrong and uh, what we can do to kind of right the ship. If you guys are enjoying this podcast, please leave reviews for it over at iTunes. If it's been a while and you want to leave another one, that's great too. We're, grind we're trying to get to 10,000 reviews over there. The same thing is true for my books over at Amazon. These are really practical ways that you can support this ministry. Also, this is a great time of year to give to Firmly Planted. This is the nonprofit organization that my husband and I have been running now for almost 20 years. We are responsible for founding the Firmly Planted Homeschool Resource Center. And right now we are working on a kind of exciting thing. We are going to be uh, 
planting, Lord willing, these homeschool resource centers in places all across the United States. If you guys are interested, reach out to us. Let us know. It's a plausible solution to the problem of indoctrination in our schools and to help put parents back in the driver's seat of their child's education. If you'd like to support the ministry that we're doing, we would greatly appreciate that. And I will link back to how you can support both the podcast and Firmly Planted, which is the nonprofit organization. We would love to hear from you. You can; Those two things are separate entities, by the way. So if you give to the Heidi St. John podcast, it's not a nonprofit. I want to be able to say whatever I feel like God's asking me to say. And so we have made that decision not to make that a nonprofit on purpose, but that's the way that you also support MomStrong International. For uh, information on how you can support both of those ministries and uh, the nonprofit, which is Firmly Planted Family, please visit the links today in the show notes, or you can reach out to us by mail. 11100 Northeast 34th Circle, Vancouver, Washington, 98682. Have a great day, everybody. And I'll see you back here tomorrow for part two of my interview on education with my friend, Alex Newman. For more encouragement, visit me online at thebusymom.com.